podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast with me, Lucy Lettuce, co-founder of eco-period care brand Ancestors. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. A couple of months ago, I had my first child, a baby boy. In the days and weeks running up to his due date, I was just astounded at how little information I knew about birthing, about postpartum life, about the village that is so often discussed. And in the weeks following his birth, it was the physical and emotional changes that no one could have prepared me for, on top of the frankly overwhelming amount of information out there. Each week here on Sisterhood, the podcast, I have a new guest discussing everything that you may want or need to know from fertility, pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum life to parenting in general. My guest this week is pelvic health physiotherapist Claire Bourne. Well versed in talking openly about taboo topics, Claire runs in-person clinics at a number of locations in London, in addition to virtual and at-home consultations too. Whether it's deciding whether you can go back to exercise post-baby or understanding pelvic girdle pain, Claire is your go-to women's health expert. So welcome, Claire. So I wondered if um, perhaps you'd like to give a bit of an intro to yourself. Of course. So yeah, I am a physiotherapist, mm-hmm. which, and I think when you hear the title pelvic health physiotherapist, people are a bit like, look at me blankly being like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I think the term pelvic health is still not 100% clear, Yeah, I so. think I, I can put my hand up and say, I would love a bit yes. more explanation. <laughs> so we used to be called women's health physiotherapists. Right, okay. Our focus was on, on you know supporting women. women yeah. And it really started sort of, again, that postnatal rehabilitation, incontinence, prolapse, that sort of side yeah. of things. And then, um, you know, we acknowledge that men also have a pelvic floor. Funny that. Yeah. Um, as does anyone yeah. in the population. And so then we became women's and men's health. But then they were like, that's actually quite a long title. So let's go for pelvic health. Because actually it's acknowledging that really what we're doing is yeah. looking after the pelvic area. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always make a bit of a joke that we look after anything between your nipples and your knees. <laughs> because, you know, the diaphragm is pretty important to our pelvic floor. And, you know, breathing. And But yeah. really... I, I don't. We are we are whole people physiotherapists because yeah. you can't talk about any part of your body and exclude your brain. Yeah. If you think about pain, experience, yeah. emotions, mental health, especially when you think about a lot of the stuff uh, to do with motherhood and stuff like that. So Definitely. yes, our focus is on the pelvic floor, but I think so much of what we do is actually not really about the pelvic floor muscles yeah. themselves, and is actually looking at the whole. So that's picture. what my day job is, alongside being a mum of two, which is also really my day <laughs> job as well. So um, yeah, definitely a that's day my twenty four seven job. Yeah, and then my employment. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm, I have a lovely life of juggling time with my kids, time at work, and um, and I'm married to a GP, which I think is a really important part of my story. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Not that I picked him because of that. <laughs> you know, we've known each other since we were teenagers, so it's slightly oh, by wow. coincidence. But um, it's really amazing because I think. Though I work privately now, um, I'm obviously really passionate about the care that women get on the NHS. And I think, you know, GPs are the first port of call. Definitely. And I think so much of, there can be so much GP bashing um, that comes around women's health. And I'm I'm not here to defend 
every single one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> but I also think so much of our role as physiotherapists needs to be coming alongside GPs, yeah. medical professionals, and making them aware of what we do because actually most people are still not aware that we even exist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that's me in a nutshell, really. Amazing. You mentioned that you have been with your husband for a long time. So um, would you be able to kind of take us back a bit to university, education, kind of how, how you got to where you got to today? Yeah, of course. So um, at school, interestingly, I always loved science and I, I think I've always found the body quite interesting. Yeah. Um, fair enough fair enough it is, <laughs> it is interesting I mean I get fully geek mode about it and I realize maybe not everyone's into this like um, my brother's very much not so and he's always a bit like about me and my husband can you not talk about this stuff at dinner time and I'm like oh does, is this not appropriate <laughs> so um, yeah so I think I was always interested I thought I always thought about medicine in some form yeah. but I didn't really like blood and that sort okay. of side of things and yeah. then interesting my dad did his back in when I was a teenager and went for physiotherapy very interesting and when he came home he's like I think you would love physiotherapy and then I looked into it I was like that sounds great and I'd always loved sport yeah. and it kind of all just made sense so then I just did a bit of work experience and I loved people I loved the body and it, it just sort of made yeah. sense um, so then it sort of shaped what I did for GCSE and AS and A2 which I think don't exist anymore I did you know science and I actually did PEA as an AS level because it was okay. so much about the body um, and then I went off to university um, so I really knew what I wanted to do for a very long time which yeah. is quite unusual and I did have a slight panic when I, I was like I don't know if this is so I was looking into maybe doing geography instead and going more into like law or, or finance or something yeah. I was just thinking about a different route but um, amazing there is an amazing bit of this story actually because I was looking at going to Cambridge to do geography yeah. and on the day that we went to Cambridge to look around it was the day of the London bombings so we were in Cambridge oh, wow. looking around colleges and on the news like it was literally like London bombings you know everything would go on yeah. we're from London so it was like a bit shocking and we knew people in London so yeah. like, goodness me and I just had this immediate response of I want to help people that is what yeah. I want to do I literally turned to my parents and I'm like this is a waste of time yeah. let's go home I'm not going to come here so it was a real like light like mm. light bulb moment where I was like it's, I want to go and yeah. help people that's what I want to do and um, yeah but I mean interestingly with my degree where I've ended up now is pelvic I did do any pelvic health university I don't know if I should say that out loud people are like are you things are different now yeah. you know, the undergraduate degree of physiotherapy has got pelvic health modules in my day it was an optional module right and let's face it when I thought I was going to be the England rugby team physio I didn't think pelvic health would be that useful yeah no fair enough so I didn't do anything ended up in my first job which at that time getting a job in the NHS was almost impossible so it was like take a job whatever it is yeah and on my first day they were like you're going to be working in pelvic health and I was like oh no interesting I don't know anything about that but I had the most amazing team I'm still friends with all of them really and they just took me under their wing and I just fell in love with it and really that's kind of the rest of the story I did do some other areas of physiotherapy but um, very young again yeah. I sort of specialised in pelvic health and that's been and, and so you mentioned your degree what degree did you do so just um, physiotherapy, physiotherapy degree yeah amazing at University of Birmingham which amazing. was brilliant fun I wondered if perhaps you could give a little bit of an intro so we've discussed kind of physiotherapy and we've discussed kind of um, women's health physio I mean kind of pelvic floor etc et but I wondered if kind of for the purpose of this podcast you could maybe give a little bit of an explanation into kind of what you do day to day kind of what sort of patients you see what your job entails absolutely I mean really varied if I look at a clinic day I think the beauty of my job is that every hour is different so I think you know a big part of my role is supporting women 
during the perinatal period. So pregnancy, preparing for birth. I think what's wonderful I'm seeing through maybe social media and things like that is yeah. women are becoming more aware that pelvic floor and pelvic floor health is important. Definitely. So a lot more women coming to me being like, you know what, I don't actually have a problem, but I'd really like not to have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so if I could be proactive, so I do that, or if someone's got pelvic pain, I do a lot of postnatal sort of checks. So women yeah. maybe wanting to know a bit more about their body after birth, how things are recovering, yeah. pertaining to exercise. But, you know, I treat women pre-pregnancy who may be having problems with sex discomfort with intercourse unable to have intercourse um, and you know going through to menopause maybe incontinence prolapse you know pain with sex then I also treat men so erectile dysfunction or recovery after prostate surgery um, bowels lots of I think problems with bowels I'm part of a bowel team as well now so supporting anyone who's maybe got chronic constipation and looking at the pelvic floor in relation to that so I mean it's hugely varied hugely variable my goodness and really what I think I learn more and more and more is that actually everything's intertwined so though someone might present with incontinence when Mm. we break it down it's like well actually I'm also worried about sex because of this and actually my bowels haven't been great since you know as long as I can remember and you start really I think digging deep and I think I have the privilege privilege of time in the private sector to do that with women and but yeah so that's very much face to face I mean online very similar but slightly different um and then yeah I sometimes have the privilege of going to people's homes um and do it with them there so yeah yeah wow and how how long like obviously we discussed kind of an appointment but um you know potentially some conditions are chronic I don't know how 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 does it work with how often and for how long a patient might see you yeah so we always start with an initial hour and I think it's an opportunity to have a really long talk get to know each other a bit better and obviously what I do in my assessments is very intimate you know it's I mean I'd say it's really it is really varied I say on average probably people come four or five times some people you know I see over years you just need a bit of you know oh things have flared up a bit I need to Mm. come back or I just wanted to troubleshoot that or I've had another baby or whatever it is (laughs) so you know it's lovely whenever people come back because you know you get to catch up about what's been going on so I mean it's funny I really feel with my job it's not I don't feel like I've gone to work because I just get to just enjoy life with people and yes I'm you know giving clinical experience and I'm treating people but so much of it is just I think living and supporting life with people and I just really enjoy that whether that's in my job or at home or whatever well I think feeling like you're making a positive impact on someone's life that you just I think that's invaluable like no matter you know what stage they are whether obviously if they've just had a baby there's so many changes going on so that can feel really overwhelming but you know as you say for anyone you know struggling from yeah um constipation or incontinence you know these are those are probably things that people have been dealing with for years and actually to be able to you know make a big change on their life is yeah amazing yeah amazing and then you mentioned kind of in your early days, um, you worked for the NHS and now you work privately. Yeah. So how does that work? And and I guess, yeah, maybe if you could tell me a little bit about that progression and, and yeah, what you wear and what you do now. Absolutely. So yeah, within the NHS, you generally move up what we call bands. So you'll start okay. as a junior yeah. and you do lots of different areas of physiotherapy just to get an idea of what you really want to do. Yeah. Um, and then you decide your specialism generally and you move more into that area. So what happened for me is I'd yeah done quite a long time as a junior. Once I decided on pelvic health, I then started um, and I actually moved up to sort of management level very quickly. Yeah. 
potentially too quickly but it was just the way the jobs fell you know and I interviewed for it and I got it but I I was young and looking back now I think I could have just done with a little bit more life experience in order to do that job because you know I think the different you you train to be a clinician and then suddenly you're a clinician and you're a manager and you're running a service and suddenly you've got to sort of understand business and you've got to understand people skills and managing a team as well as being a clinical specialist and you're suddenly like this is a lot and I don't in the deep end yeah I was 100% in the deep end I think alongside that, what happened for me personally is I was going, uh, I was ha- experiencing something called like hypothalamic amenorrhea, where you lose your periods. Yeah. So that happened, I think I was like 24, 23, 24, and I didn't really understand what on earth going on. Yeah. And I put my hands up being like, I was never one to track my period. And then I, I just realized, oh, hang on a second, I haven't had a period for a couple of months. And then I was like, something weird's going on here. And then they yeah. just stopped completely. So I ended up on like HRT and things like that. But I think the actual stress of my job yeah. had actually really started to affect me. There was other yeah. things going on, like we lost a family member and things like that. So it definitely wasn't just my job, but yeah. it was definitely part of it. And that was part of the reason I ended up leaving the NHS in the end. Right, okay. Not that I think I couldn't have stayed, but I just got to the point where I just felt my body is telling me something. That I need mm. a break. I need a change. Yeah. And I think I was just really struggling with being such a split role. Mm. And I love treating, treating patients. I just didn't love the paperwork. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a case of like spreading yourself so thin. So thin. Like being an octopus. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Not always possible and doesn't need to be possible. I think that's why you have a team. This is it. <laughs> this is it. And I think you know I absolutely love the NHS and I think it's amazing and I found it really hard to leave because I think Mm. when you go into healthcare that's your focus right you're going to work in the NHS and that's what you do so I found it really hard to leave but actually it was the right decision and I was almost ready to leave physiotherapy I just I think got really disillusioned Mm. Um, and then one of my old colleagues that I'd started off in pelvic health she had moved privately and she was literally like come and work for me and if you still want to quit in a year then you quit then Wow. and I was like deal (laughs) I'm in so I went and worked with her and funnily enough I felt pregnant very quickly because I wasn't having periods but I felt pregnant anyway Um, and then I had my daughter and then through the whole process of having kids and then the pandemic hitting um, and then the juggle of two kids obviously a medical husband things that weren't simple in the pandemic I just then realised I had to work for myself to have a bit more flexibility That's how I've ended up where I am amazing. now. Amazing. So amazing how life just yeah. constantly... I did an antenatal course and I remember very vividly the midwife saying, don't worry about buying the fanciest buggy. Just make sure that you, if you can, invest in private physiotherapy Love for yourself. I was her. like... Love that. Really, it really stuck with me. And everyone there, I think, was sort of a bit of a light bulb moment like... Ah, true. Yeah, that's probably a good point. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, do, I do think you know we don't we don't bat an eyelid of like a buggy, a grand, yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. But then when it comes to your actual health, you're suddenly like, oh yeah. I mean, it's you, well, you compromise, you sacrifice, you think that the buggy is the most important thing, but actually, there are many safe buggies out there, and actually, I think you have to look after yourself to look after your baby. Absolutely. I had some back pain. I thought. I don't know if it's back pain or if it's linked to something else, like kind of hormones from pregnancy. So I, I called my GP to book an appointment with the doctor. They're like, well, you know, can I ask what it's for? And I'm like, yeah, it's for back pain. Because, you know, at that moment, I couldn't really think of anything else. They're like, well, we actually have an uh, on-call physiotherapist if you want. So the GP appointment, they're like, we're looking at a couple of weeks, maybe a month. But that was fine because, you know, I hadn't done anything about it for a little while. And then they said the, about the physiotherapist and they're like, um, we have an appointment tomorrow morning. Amazing. So I don't know for any kind of listeners whether or not that's, you know, if you are looking to see a physiotherapist, if, um, yeah, going through your GP is an option. I mean, I think that is the way GPs are going. Um, you know, I think ultimately it's recognising that 
GP is what a GP needs to do. But mm. actually, within a team, really, a GP should be a mini, yeah, <laughs> a mini team, mini team, pharmacists, you know, physios, yeah. nurses, and actually, I think a really well-run GP practice is more triaging to the right people yeah, totally. rather than always having to go through your GP and then oh the GP's like oh actually you yeah. need a physio yeah. a lot of stuff and it, look if the physio thinks I'm not the right person yeah. then they'll send you to the doctor yeah. and I think that's when it's done well mm-hmm. it's a dream mm-hmm. I wondered next if you would be able to explain a couple of terms that I've heard prolapse diastasis recti very good and as I said at the beginning, pelvic girdle pain, because these yeah. are things that I think, well, for me anyway, things that I've heard people speak about in relation to childbirth. I'd love to, yeah. for you to help unpick those Absolutely. if possible. I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> so let's start with prolapse. Yeah. I mean, the term prolapse can be referred to different bits in the body, really. So yeah. you can have like a disc prolapse in your spine. When it comes to a vaginal prolapse, what we're referring to is one of the pelvic organs, yeah. most commonly the bladder, the womb or the bowel, yeah. has moved from its original position. Um, and a lot of the time we're, we're really referring to changes in the vaginal walls. Yeah. So I think we like to think of the vagina like a just one cylinder, but yeah. it's, it's more of like a space and it's okay. got like a front wall and a back wall okay. um, and obviously the cervix is at the top yeah um so it is it you know it's just not as perfect cylinder as i think we always the walls really touch each other and yeah. it's not like an open space yeah that's how we often right are okay educated yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um though it can open as needed so those vaginal walls they can get weakened over time whether that be through straining through constipation yeah. you know excessive heavy lifting in a job with not the best technique yeah Pregnancy, childbirth, and and hormonal elements can influence um, them as well. So lots of reasons that this can happen, and it's not just exclusive to motherhood. It can happen at any point in life. So you can have a prolapse before pregnancy, um, but a lot of people, obviously, we hear about it much more postpartum. So it's a movement of one of the organs, basically a change in one of the vaginal walls. And so what women will often experience is a feeling of like a heaviness or a dragging within the vagina or the feeling like a tampon is dislodged and not in the right position. That's how women often describe it. Like, oh, it's just a bit sore, like something's there. Yeah, something's there. Just something doesn't feel right. Or they might start to experience changes like I'm really struggling to fully empty my bowels or fully empty my bladder. Yeah. So it's often, you know, multifactorial what they mm. feel. Um, and it's really, I think it's like incontinence, I think we're starting to hear far more about and, and there's lots more to be kind of, I think, talk around, you know, um, bus- busting around it. Yeah. But prolapse, I think, is still really un- under-talked about. Definitely. And I think it's a really scary prospect. Ultimately, you're having to come to terms with the fact that your body has changed. Yeah. You know, there's been a change in your body. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. And I can absolutely say, don't Google vaginal prolapse <laughs> because you'll end up on a very negative search and convinced the only option is surgery. And that's not the case. Okay. I mean, the most important thing for women to know is that there is a huge variety of what has prolapsed. So, you know, you can have, um, you know, bladder, you can have bowel, you can have womb, you can have two, you can have three. There's you know, there's a huge variety. There's also different grades um, and there's often different symptoms. So it, the most important thing is getting an assessment and working out what's right for your body. Yeah. Because that it will be different to the next person. First line treatment in the UK is 
supported pelvic floor exercises yeah. so pelvic health physiotherapy basically because yeah. it's that guidance and that education and that support it's not just giving them a leaflet and being like do a few squeezes <laughs> because women are like I don't know where that muscle is I don't really know what I'm doing so it's that guidance and that support and I think so much of it is mental and emotional as well you know ultimately if you feel like something's going to fall out of your vagina yeah. that's incredibly <clears throat> scary um, and you feel like your body's never going to be the same again and, and it's a huge journey of just coming to maybe accept that there's some changes but it doesn't have to change your entire life mm. um so yeah so that's really what prolapse is there is help there is support but please don't google it because i think to be honest from what you said it sounds less scary than i thought it was yeah they, that but i think that's a huge thing yeah. you know i think so much if we can understand and often when I'm, i sit with women i'm like you know the way i've had to come to understand it is you know my tummy skin not the same as it used to be yeah now it doesn't look awful by any means but it's definitely not the same as before i had children yeah I've had to come to terms with the fact there have been changes to my body. And sometimes with prolapse, I think a really important part of that is just accepting that there are some changes, but the changes are not the barrier. And I think often when you say to women, what are you most worried about? It's not that their vaginal tissues look a bit different or they've got something different in their vagina. It's that that equals, I won't have sex again. That equals, I won't run again. And then once we start breaking that down, often the fear of what the prolapse is 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 removed to, to a large degree. So absolutely. Education yeah. and understanding is 100%. Totally. Person. And then diastasis. Yeah. Diastasis. See, there's so many ways of saying it. I always say diastasis. I'm so British. Diastasis <laughs> recti. Okay, yeah. Um, people say oh, diastasis. Oh, yeah, okay. Diastasis. You know, so there's lots of ways of saying the same thing. But basically, this is separation of the abdominal muscles. So we've got different abdominal muscles when we're focusing here is on the six-pack muscles. So we've all got a six-pack. Yeah. And during pregnancy they have to slowly stretch apart and sort of lengthen in order to allow enough space. I mean, if you look at the tummy's shape of a pregnant woman, it makes sense those muscles have to stretch and change. So it's a completely natural process. And when they've looked at it in research, it's been shown to be present in 100% of women by 35 weeks. So it's not like something you've done wrong or like, oh, I've opted out or I've done this so I didn't have it. It's just a natural process. There are things that we would encourage women in pregnancy to think about, you know, not straining to open your bowels, you know, modifying core exercises as needed and rolling onto your side as your bump gets bigger but yep. I mean there's literally only so many ways you can get up when you're pregnant anyway I'm pretty sure I was doing no sit-ups I was like I'm a whale I can't get up so you know there are some natural things we can adapt postpartum we, you know around we think around a third of women may have some ongoing separations there is like a natural healing window around the first six to eight weeks and after that people may have some ongoing separation what women might see is like a bulging up down the middle some people describe it like a Toblerone bar down the centre of your tummy oh interesting a bit like a tent uh, it doesn't necessarily look as pointy but a bit more rounded or your tissues can actually drop down and sort of you look postpartum like you've got a bit of a trough going down the centre of your tummy interesting more kind of slightly larger so we don't always know why it happens to someone more yeah. than others. It can be genetics. It can be the shape of our body, the size of our baby, the amount of fluid. You know, one baby's two babies. There's lots of different kind of factors that we sometimes see. Yeah. And there's a lot more research to be done. But there, again, there is help. You know, we don't always get a tummy back to exactly where it was. Yeah. But again, a lot of the time, it's like the worry and fear that I'll never exercise again, that I won't be able to have another baby those sort of things so yeah. actually we support women to get as strong as they can to do as much as they can to be prepared yeah. for motherhood I mean yeah. motherhood ain't no light load <laughs> no definitely not on the NHS when you have a baby you have a six or eight week um, kind of checkup. is that something that your GP should be would be checking for great question I mean this is such an important conversation because I think 
in the UK at the minute, the diversity in postcode lottery of what you experience and your also individual GP is very varied. So it can be you won't get any kind of contact or it might just be with your health visitor yeah. or you might end up with your GP on the phone or you may be in person, but it'll be a very short check or you have some who do incredibly thorough checks. I think what I'd always say is that that GP check is a very brief overview. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's never going to be a thorough check when they have sort of 10 minutes with you. So... The most important thing I think you can do is flag if you are noticing anything. And this is why educating women about what to expect is the most important thing. Because if you can then advocate for yourself and say, look, I don't know what's going on here, but this isn't right, it's much more likely to trigger the GP to assess. Mm. If they don't know, refer on. So I think in an ideal world, yes, women would be examined on their tummy and examined on their pelvic floor vaginally, Mm. look at any scar or wounds if they've had a vaginal delivery or in their tummy if they've had a C-section. But that's not routinely happening. And Mm. should it be done... In an ideal world, yes. Do I think we have exactly the right framework at the minute to do it? No. Mm. Do the GPs get enough training in that specialism? No. Yeah. You know, so I think there's still a lot of work to do. And I think that's where as physios, I think we can be more supportive of GPs to maybe even do some more training um, on just how to. And there's, you know, there's a lot of work going behind the scenes in the NHS. And mm. I do think, again, over the next 10 years, we'll see a big change. But I'd say at the minute, I think what women can really do is understand mm. what you are feeling and don't I think what sometimes women feel like if they don't bring it up the six to eight week check then that's it you're like oh I didn't bring it up there yeah. but you can bring it up at any point yeah. so even if that check is like you're just in such days just survive the first six to eight weeks and you go and you're like I don't know why I'm meant to feel yeah. am I meant to feel like this yeah. is this what it's normal I don't know and if it carries on and you think you try to return to exercise and things are not right yeah. I get it again and just go back yeah the way I like to sort of summarise it is I'm like, view that first six weeks as, you know, recovery. recovery. You know, initial acute healing is going on, even totally. if you feel much better at four weeks. Yeah. But either way, I was surprised myself how long I felt quite sore and uncomfortable, yeah. even with uncomplicated deliveries on, mm. on paper. You know, I think we're so like, oh, you've had an uncomplicated delivery. It's like, really, any delivery is a trauma on the body. Yeah, it's absolutely. A lot. So, and also is being sleep deprived and looking after a newborn. So really that first six weeks, take a you know, by all means, walk, go out for some walks. But what I often find women do is they wait until about a month. They're like, oh, I feel loads better. I'm going to head out for an hour or two. And then they come home like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sore. And I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot. That is a lot. For one, your body's still healing. But also, you've not done much for a month. And suddenly, you're like, let's walk for an hour. And though walking is low impact, it's still pretty full on. So I always say, look, whatever time you go into doing more, it needs to be graded. Yeah. And it will be different for everyone. Then I view the six to 12 week windows more like rehabilitation as a minimum, you know, thinking about not just your pelvic floor, but pelvic floor recovery, you know, full body strengthening, glutes, legs, everything. If you want to go back to high impact, you know, you're not coming into birth at maybe your strongest. Yeah. You've been through pregnancy. There's been a lot of changes. So, you know, it's not just the six weeks we're thinking about. We're also thinking about like good nine months before that. Um, So, you know, it's sometimes like a bit of a, like nearly a year for some women before they're really going back to maybe what they did before. So then use that time to gradually build up and then, you know, general guidance is, you know, from 12 weeks, think about maybe impact if you're ready, if you feel ready for it, but equally you're listening for symptoms. So if you're incontinent when you're jumping, your body's not ready yet and you need a bit Mm. more support or a bit more time and... So that's what I generally advise. And, you know, yeah. so postnatal options, you know, postnatal yoga, postnatal Pilates, like yeah. a postnatal class. There are loads of great yeah. classes or online programs now, free YouTube channels. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, so yeah. much available. Um, 
just I just say the majority of women are not ready to run at six weeks postpartum yeah. and that's the honest truth yeah. I 100% didn't feel it and I'm glad I didn't because I yeah. don't think it will have ended particularly well no. so I, but I think what's so hard is often you want to just feel like yourself again yeah and I remember that feeling so it's sometimes really hard to then be self-controlled and, and not do that but I just think there's so many options that are available yeah. that we can do I think definitely you have those moments when you kind of maybe have had a slightly longer sleep and you suddenly feel like a bit of kind of surge of energy yeah. and you, f- you feel like you want to maximise that yeah. but actually that's probably not advised I think yeah. Yeah, as you say kind of baby steps no yeah. pun intended oh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything that I haven't covered that you think for anyone listening that potentially has um, is pregnant or has just had a baby that the kind of they might want to know about I mean I guess I haven't talked about pelvic girdle pain has I no pelvic girdle sorry there you go I realised I was like there was a third one right um, <laughs> that, yeah. is that during pregnancy predominantly we get right. pregnancy related pelvic girdle, pelvic okay. girdle pain so it it's now an umbrella term used for pain in anywhere in the pelvis. So we okay. used to call used to use a term symphysis pubis dysfunction or SPD. Yeah. So that very much referred to the front of the pelvis. Right. Now there's acknowledgement that it can be pain anywhere in the pelvis. I think the key messages I always want women to hear about this is the old narrative on this was always it's relaxing, the hormone relaxing. So yes, the hormone relaxing does increase in the body during pregnancy. Um, and therefore it was like, oh, well, therefore your pelvis is unstable. The instability is meaning that joints are moving too much and that's equaling pain. Now, the research that's come out in the more recent years is disproving of this because actually if that's true then every single woman should have an unstable pelvis as such as the term and therefore pain and actually the pelvis is like one of the most stable structures in the entire body so our understanding of pelvic pain is constantly evolving um often we see it with women who've maybe had pain in their pelvis before or maybe a slight trauma or injury there could be a hormonal link but not relaxing more like estrogen the body being more in a sensitised sort of state. Um, there's also interesting links with, you know, our mental health, work satisfaction, stress, you know. And actually, when you start to look at the body as a whole, you start realising everything's intertwined. Yeah. And I think what we do in medicine so much is we like to look at a body part mm. and diagnose a problem with that body part yeah. and actually step away from looking at the whole of a person. But I think it really does a disservice to well, one, everyone's health, but also recovery. Yeah. And actually, a lot of the time what happens is we generate a lot of fear, which then causes more stress, which then causes more pain and more symptoms, yeah. and we end up wound up in that discomfort. So where we're moving in, into what we call like a biopsychosocial approach, so yes, we're looking at the body's biology and what's going on there, but we're also looking at the mind because pain is very much to do with the mind. Not it's in your head, but the brain oh, totally. is literally the processor yeah, yeah. of pain, right? Um, but also what's going on in our lives. Because, I mean, if you have ongoing pelvic pain, which you can into motherhood, we think it's around 17% might have it postpartum, which is still a good number of women who are going to be struggling. Um, You know, a a lot of the time, our lifestyle does not allow for a lot of rest and recovery and peace and stuff like that. So, peace, that works. I don't know if I know it anymore. Um, Yeah, so there's, I think the most important message is it's not because your body's broken. It's not because everything's falling apart. There will be reasons why you're, and I had pelvic girdle pain in both of my pregnancies, and I know it's not in my head. I know I had a fall and it aggravated some discomfort, but then I also had a lot of fear that I wouldn't manage my job, which is a physical job, on my feet until the end. I was moving house. I was doing a house project, as we all love to do when we're pregnant, (laughs) because there's nothing else to do. (laughs) Ridiculous. Um, And it was a stressful time. It was busy. And, you know, I think 
looking back now, yes, I can see there was an original discomfort, but then definitely these other factors played into it. And I think that's the most important thing. If anyone's saying to you, we need to look at these other factors, we're not saying you're crazy, it's in your head, you're making this mm. up, it's not true. But we have to look at the whole of a person yeah. whenever we're getting the better. And I think that's where we're moving with a lot of our healthcare and our treatment. Yeah, I definitely think the sort of holistic approach seems to just make so much more sense. It does. Because I think... We, yeah we so often overlook like the kind of mental side but I think yeah your body and your mind are so closely linked that briefly touched on at the beginning um but I would love to know why you love your job oh. and what you love most about it yeah <laughs> oh I, just, I every time I leave work I'm like I love my job I feel so lucky to do my job um I think I love it. I've always been a person who loves the nitty-gritty of life. Like, yeah. I'd always be that mate who's like, everyone comes to you, they're like, can I just tell you some stuff? And yeah, yeah, the details. The details, yeah. And I've never really been phased by much. Like, nothing really phases me. I always say to women, like, if they're a bit embarrassed to say something, like, I can guarantee someone said it to yeah, me before. Before, yeah. Nothing's going to shock me. Um, so I think I really love that. I love the kind of... Yeah, I love going deep with people and being able to have those sort of conversations. Yeah. I love being physical. Um, and I just love, I think supporting women and men but I guess I, I do a lot more with women I think especially being a mother now I know how vulnerable you can yeah. feel and I just think when your body is not feeling great motherhood is hard enough mm. it gives you the highest of highs and the lowest of lows yeah. if your body is struggling as well I just think it makes life so much harder so just being able to take a woman from A to B and get back to who she wants to be it's just the biggest privilege and I just love it. So I think that's why I love it because I think I get to see results with them and do a proper journey. And, yeah. you know, even, I mean, I think some of my biggest privileged moments is when there have been couples who couldn't have intercourse because of pain mm. and then they go on and have a baby and they weren't, you know, they oh, were literally like, wow. how are we going to have a family? Yeah. And they have a baby and then you meet that baby and you're just like, oh my gosh, to have played a part in that. I mean, that, there's no greater gift. I actually think I have goosebumps. Yeah. That's I weird. Mean, it makes me want to cry. Like, I just, and you like, you really get to know these people. You yeah. really get to know these couples and it's just the most amazing thing. So what I think is such a privilege as a physiotherapist is you really get to do, be consistent and do the journey. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time you might see a different doctor for this, that and the other. And I do think they get to build relationships but I think really as physios, we really get to do that. And yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you had pelvic girdle pain. How has having children yourself kind of impacted or sort of helped with, with your work? Yeah, hugely. <laughs> I mean, my empathy levels have <laughs> I, when I When I used to give exercise programmes, and women would be like, I'm oh, so sorry, I've not had time to do it. I've had time to do it. <laughs> I mean, physiotherapists, we could be a right old type at times. Now I'm like, no judgment. I'm, I'm a real realist as well. Like when I set anything, yeah. I'm like, this would be ideal. Yeah. This is what I would say as a mother. Mm. <laughs> so we're going to do a bit of a hybrid and yeah. aim for this. But what I think is so important, is, I think was what it's really taught me, is that when we give people unachievable goals and they can't achieve them, they feel like a failure. Yeah. When you feel like a failure, you disengage and yeah. you just stop prioritizing your health. Yeah. I appreciate how much it takes for a woman to arrive in my clinic and come yeah. to an appointment because it takes me a military operation to go to an appointment myself, get a haircut, go to, you know, go yeah, and do yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. So I used to joke, I was like, I only get childcare to go to work, a smear test or like a breast <laughs> exam. I was like, this is so depressing. But that can be a reality. Yeah, it's so true. So I know the cost, what it takes for a woman to come to me. Yeah. I want her to leave feeling the most empowered and the most supported and the most yeah. realistic goal she's ever going to have yeah. not like crikey this is another load to my already yeah. busy life yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think that's where it's really influenced me I think having lived some of the experiences myself you know where I might have been 
been a bit more flippant before and just been like, oh, this is this, this is that. I think I really get the gravity of those words. I think having been on the receiving end of some of those as well, you know, I think as medical professionals, because we do become a bit desensitised, and I think part of that's coping mechanisms, because what you see a lot of the time is quite hard to deal with. Yeah. You know, if you're dealing with trauma all the time, there's an element of you to protect yourself that you have to become a little bit flippant or, yeah. or a bit jokey or just a bit like, oh yeah, that's just that. Yeah. There's no just about these symptoms. There's yeah. no just about prolapse. There's no, you know, oh, it's not a big deal. The only person who can decide if it's not a big deal is that individual. Yeah. So I think it's really given me that empathy and that understanding to have sat where they've sat and have felt it and struggled and to been like, yeah. So I think that's hugely influenced, I guess, how I do my job. I don't think my clinical... I mean, you're always growing in clinical knowledge. We're always mm. learning more. But I think me as a clinician, I was, you know, I was good before becoming a mum. But I think I'm just... It's like a different element. Yeah. That I think you, you, yeah, you get to have. Yeah. Um, and I think sit with and I think that connection can just really help and I think also you know there's lots there's pregnancy and then there's kind of postnatal and I think things are constantly changing as well and I think from a kind of clinician's perspective as you said earlier it's sort of like you know someone comes to you with some symptoms and it sort of might seem what it is kind of just right in front of you but actually when you've then been through it yourself you I guess also realize kind of the bigger picture and actually can you know have felt all of those changes like across the months and years probably from that perspective as well maybe gives you a bit more of like a holistic approach yeah. to things yeah absolutely absolutely I think it's, yeah. and even just journeying with mums like what we were talking about before you know yeah. transitions to nurseries and stuff like you just once you do it you're like oh yeah and you know and I've had women who've done that for me and it's just lovely to be able to bring that to the table yeah. because I know all these factors that influence, you know, really when you're looking after your health, it's such like 1% of your day yeah. along every side, everything else. So I think just being able to make it practical is yeah. so important. Yeah, totally. Obviously, we're a period care brand, so um, I'd love to talk about kind of periods, but actually you discussed earlier about sex. And yes. I think sex after childbirth oh, is yeah. one of those things that we're just not talking enough about the only kind of support I had about kind of sex after birth was at my GP appointment when they ask if I'm on any contraception or if I want any like I was thinking I'm not quite there yet so don't don't worry about that for now but definitely it's something that you know regardless of um kind of yeah your sort of touch points with the NHS I think even in yourselves it's something that in society we just don't talk about I don't know if maybe you are able to share some thoughts on sex after after having a baby kind of intimacy you know obviously it's quite linked I'm you know very closely to body image but actually from a from a more sort of biological perspective yeah. perhaps no, I do a Q&A on Instagram every week and there is always more than one conversation about <laughs> returning to having sex or intercourse <laughs> after delivery there you go. it's the questions that we all want to ask yeah. and you know though I think we can sometimes laugh off a bit of incontinence with our mates like oh yeah I leaked at the gym a bit today like to be like I'm struggling to have sex yeah. it's not really something that comes up in like text messages very no. often so absolutely there are there are a variety of reasons why we may struggle I mean as you said touched on how you feel about your body yeah the fact of baby sleeping in your room you haven't slept you probably haven't really spoken to your partner (laughs) in weeks or done anything particularly fun with them those things obviously at play and but you know the actual biological element of like your hormones are in a totally different state so especially for anyone who's chosen to breastfeed or able to breastfeed um your estrogen levels are lower yeah and that's a sort of interplay with prolactin yeah. being higher now when our estrogen levels are lower one and you know libido how we feel yeah 
things are different yeah. from a vaginal perspective yeah. as well our vaginal tissues are often drier yeah now when vaginal tissues are drier and then we basically you know have yeah. you know, penetration or yeah. there's rubbing of those tissues yeah. that can be really uncomfortable yeah. so simple things of just knowing you need to use a good lube and yeah. you know a water-based glycerin-free lubricant yeah. can make a big big difference and being prepared for that the other element obviously is if you've had a vaginal delivery and you've had a tear which is like a high, high, high percentage yeah. of women who will have some degree of tearing. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if any other body part had had a tear in it, you're probably going to give it a bit of space. Yeah, totally. And be a bit nervous. Now, this is an area of our body as women we can't really see. So, you know, unless you get a mirror out and have a good look and that can feel scary, like, is it ever going to look the same again? Yeah. Is he going to is he or she going to notice things are different? You know, there's so many elements of like, what's this going to be? Mm. So... That can feel really scary, but equally then you try and it is really sensitive. So what I always advise is if you can, have a look yourself. Yeah. Because often women are pleasantly surprised. Oh, she doesn't look as bad as I thought. <laughs> but equally, you need to understand the changes that have happened to your yeah. body. Like that's absolutely paramount because so much of intercourse and sex and pleasure is being able to relax and switch yeah. off. And in your head, you're going... Are they noticing it as a difference? Mm. Like, is this going to hurt? You, you just can't relax into yeah. it. So understanding your body is definitely step one. I often recommend if you've had a tear after six to eight weeks, you actually have a feel of it yourself. Okay. So it might be on the outside. Obviously, there might be scar tissue inside as well. So if anyone knows the technique of perineal massage, you can look yeah. it up. Something that you often recommend to do in pregnancy at the end to prevent tearing or severity of tearing. You can use a similar technique afterwards just to gently stretch the scar. And often then if you've experienced okay, it's not that painful, then it's, you're more relaxed going into it. Yeah. There's a condition called vaginismus where your pelvic floor muscles contract to penetration when obviously we don't want them to. We yeah. want them to be relaxed. Now, obviously, if you're then apprehensive something's going to be painful, you're far more likely to then experience vaginismus and then experience more pain and then yeah. you fear the pain and then you have more tightening and, and you end up in a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. So the more we can be prepared at being like, I've got my lube, I've had a look, I've had a massage. So even if you had a cesarean and you've not had a, a you know a wound in yeah. the vagina, the, the hormonal changes are still very true. So yeah. really, until your periods are fully kicked back in, you're in a very more hormonal cycle. Yeah. You're generally in that kind of hormonally altered state. So I'd say those are the main things yeah. I would say, and open communication. Um, but ultimately, we just don't have as much time. Mm. You know, it's sort of like, oh yeah, we've not had sex. Okay, maybe we should. Oh yeah, maybe tonight. Oh okay, but the baby might wake up. And I mean. Any time when you're going to struggle is, mm. is probably that time. But yeah, there are definitely physical reasons. It's not the whole, I just have a glass of wine and chill out. It's like, that's not going to help you. Yeah. Um, there are definitely reasons. And there are some for some, and it's, it's rare. But where a wound is healed in the vagina, sometimes it's kind of done too much of a good thing. And you end up with a bit of tissue on the top, which is really quite raw and sore. Yeah. And sometimes that needs to be removed. So mm. there's no way that we can just say, oh, women, it's because they can't chill out. Mm. Which, to be fair, I felt like I couldn't just chill out because there was so much going. You know, there's so many factors, but there are, you know, if you're feeling pain, it's not in your head, get someone to assess it and yeah. have a look. And that's a huge part of what I do. Yeah, definitely. The most important thing is keeping that communication channel open with yeah, your partner. Because, you know, I think what's so important is I think that as mothers, we get so focused on our child and we're so, like, obsessed with their rhythm. Yeah. Sometimes our partners are sat there being like, hey, do you want to come here for them? And, you know, and I think... It's, it's acknowledging that everyone has needs yeah. and we're never always going to meet everyone's needs. That's the fact. Yeah. It's quite hard to do that. But as long as there's acknowledgement, keeping space for each other yeah. um, and, 
you know, acknowledging that they also have needs yeah. is important and yeah. generally going to probably reduce arguments about yeah. said topic. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, and so then so then on to periods. So you mentioned earlier about kind of tracking your own periods and um, having gone through a stage of not having had periods. If you don't mind, I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about yeah, your experience and if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny now. I like, even though I know people are so annoyed about periods, every time I get my period every month, I'm like, yes, <laughs> everything's working. I love that. So I have such a different spin on yeah. periods. Our products are 100% organic cotton and when someone who's maybe experienced like thrush or sensitivity from using mainstream products and then they use organic cotton we get messages like oh my god I just had the best period (laughs) or like I'm so excited for my period and yeah they're the messages that we love what I've really learned is how much our period tells us it is like a vital sign for women and again we're just not told about that you know I think you just hear so much like oh periods are so annoying but again I think so much of that is because we don't understand we're not really educated in its benefit you know you just learn not to get pregnant (laughs) you don't really learn about much else no. So, um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I'd never, I think I'd never really had problems with my periods growing yeah. up. They were pretty regular, pretty, un, like, I didn't have severe pain or anything like that. Sort of, they happened. Yeah. And it was only when I, I didn't even know that them stopping was a thing. I mean, literally, I was like, how can they stop? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Where do, where do they go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> think, what, like, what's happening if they are stopping? Yes. I guess that kind of. Yeah. And when I basically had my first, when I was like, okay, finally I need to go to the GP. Um, I'm the worst at going to the GP, which is ironic. But anyway, I'm still very much like, oh, I forgot to go to the GP. So I went to the GP and sadly what they said to me is, and I was, I think I was 23 or 24. They were like, oh, you could be in premature menopause. Right, this is a single 23, 24-year-old. Yeah, that is, that is like a lot to that take. That was a lot. And I'd always dreamed of being a mum. Like, if you ask me, like, what I wanted to do in my life, yes, be a physiotherapist, but yeah. really, I wanted to have children. Yeah. That was just such a dream of mine. I'd always been really maternal from a very young age, and I just, that's what I wanted. So that was just like, the, and I remember just, like, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Thankfully, I was already working in it. I just started back in pelvic health, and so I was very much in a gynecology yeah. team. And I yeah, remember yeah. one of my colleagues being like, right, we're off to see the gynecologist, and just took me upstairs and was like... <sighs> Here, here is a blood test. I mean, look, privilege. If you, you don't necessarily yeah. get many perks of watching in the, in the NHS, apart from a really good pension, um, <laughs> but you, you do get really yeah. looked after well and, and the team were absolutely amazing. And, and basically, I'd asked my blood test results because I didn't understand it. It's yeah. not just about estrogen. It's about the relationships. It's, it's com- you know, hormones complex. Yeah. So, And they were like, we can definitely tell you from looking at this, you're not in premature menopause. And I was like... Oh, thank goodness. So what is going on? And they're like, well, it's something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I was like, break that down. (laughs) What does that mean? And essentially, it's a bit of a stress response of the body to, you know, the way I kind of understood and how they explained to me is, your body is not feeling safe to carry a pregnancy right now. Right. It's identifying your stress, that there's a lot going on in your life, and so it's sort of shutting down hormonally. So when they looked at my blood test, I had literally no detectable estrogen levels. So that's not great. Um, and I felt pretty awful through various yeah. things. You know, I basically was experiencing what women do experience in the menopause, not right. quite the same because it wasn't like lots of hormonal changes, but I definitely felt quite low, and I definitely, yeah, I, I was experiencing sort of changes in my bowel habits and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So there was definitely a lot going on um i think i was exercising quite a lot i don't think it was over exercising but i can definitely look back now and think i probably wasn't being the healthiest yeah healthiest yeah in your 20s right you're just like living the best yeah life, yeah living well i think you just you just continue don't you, you just go right. on and on and you don't you, there's no time for reflection there's no time so i kind of like living in london busy life out socializing yeah. most nights busy work you know lots of stuff going on in the background and my body was just literally like enough yeah but unfortunately i could just i went on various like contraceptive pills just to try and you know yeah yeah, yeah. get hormones back in the system hrt which was 
whole journey in itself I mean that has given me real empathy for women who go through perimenopause mm. and menopause just that experience of trying different things trying to see what your body needs yeah um to say it was a roller coaster is an understatement and I basically just I just got fed up with it all and various uh, you know various tests and and that's when it kind of led me leaving and then we got married in the April and the team were basically like, look, if you want to have children and you guys are thinking about that post-marriage, like you may just not want to leave it too long before you think about trying. Yeah. So we were like, okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> and then we fell pregnant literally straight away, wow. having no periods. Yeah. And I remember to the team being like, um, <laughs> said this was thank you for the advice. Yeah, thanks for the advice. <laughs> um, anyway, like could not be more amazing. delighted. Got my amazing daughter and, and then my, literally had her and my periods just kicked back in and they have been regular obviously I had another pregnancy but really? I have been like clockwork from that day yeah wow so I think my body just needed to feel safe again yeah. I think needed to feel yeah I think probably I, I changed my approach just to like my lifestyle so yeah. I mean motherhood is is stressful in a different way but I think you know I'm not putting as much stress on it through exercising maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. five six times a week and you know I think I'm much better just eating healthy Mm -hmm. and I didn't eat I didn't not eat I just had a pretty shoddy diet just classic like eating for one shove a bit of that on a plate that'll do (laughs) you know quick eat for lunch probably forgetting to have breakfast too many coffees bit of alcohol you know just everything you'd classically say to people not the healthiest (laughs) but you're 20 and you can get away with it so do it so yeah yeah, I think it's been a real journey of understanding my body and what what I need yeah but Um, I think also you know if you you mentioned earlier about kind of psychological things as well and you know things going on with your family and I think you know clearly going through you know um that and then and then getting married and then sort of looking to the future and this kind of golden light of maybe having a baby then you know I think that is again just prove how closely your body and mind kind of work and how yeah that sort of happy you know happy hormones and positive place in your head obviously also is kind of showing to your body that okay maybe you know you could grow a baby absolutely I mean I, I always love the stories that are like you know women who've gone through years and years of fertility struggles they have a baby by surrogacy and then they fall pregnant naturally yeah I mean I just think like the body we just don't know enough no you know I've seen my that pregnancy is what my body needs to reset in and, and I obviously was ovulating but we didn't realize yeah. and so amazing you know so yeah. I think if it's taught me anything is like you really don't know yeah. <laughs> that much but to really yeah be appreciative of of having periods yeah. that actually the benefits of them uh, what they're telling me what they're communicating and yeah. you know I always say to any woman that I work with if you're struggling with her periods like it's communicating something to you whether they're there not there if they're yeah. painful they're heavy and actually there's no shame in reaching out and trying to get support for that because yeah. often it's is a communication strategy of yeah. our body to try and talk to us which in many ways we're privileged to have as women yeah um, completely <laughs> as hard as they can be at times if there's anything to kind of take from that it's that you know, all bodies are different yes. and I think you know never worry about kind of one eventuality or one sort of um, diagnosis because I think as you say you know we just don't know I think there's, there's often options yeah so um thank you, Body can you. exactly now I'd love to do some just interactive features mm-hmm. quick fire questions so obviously there's no right or wrong answer I'm just going to ask you a question um and then the first thing that comes to your head oh great so, favourite quote, motto or affirmation? Trust your instinct. Amount of sleep you're currently averaging a night in hours? Oh, not enough. <laughs> six. Oh. Broken. Seven. <laughs> broken. Yeah, it, the word broken. Because six or seven for some might be, but yeah. it's the, the word broken. Yes. Yeah, 
not enough. No. <laughs> Best parenting hack? Get a sling and if that baby needs to live in it, let them live in it. Yeah, love that, love that, love a sling. Piece of advice for a new mum to look after herself? Mm. If something doesn't feel right, the chances are not. So just trust in your in what you feel about your body. Yeah, great. Okay, next section is questions it's impossible to answer. So obviously from your kind of clinical experience, there might be some information that you can share. How to know if you should see a specialist about pelvic health? Mm. So, I mean, if you're experiencing any symptoms like incontinence, heaviness, anything that feels different in your vagina, yep. then that is the time. Don't put it off. I mean, if you do put it off, that's also fine. Yep. You know, this is never too late to come. Yep. But I say anything that is showing itself as not the way you felt before, that's there you the go. time. Great. How much pain is a normal amount of pain in relation to post baby mobility? Great. I love that question. <laughs> I would like to say, in the acute days, you know, you're, you're able to move. You might be taking paracetamol and ibuprofen, and that's taking the edge off, but you should be able to get out of bed, potter around the house. Yep. If it's above that, or it's ongoing, not normal. Yep. So I, I think I never want to normalise pain, because that yep. is your body communicating something. Obviously, yep. acute healing, there will be some yep. pain and discomfort. If that's ongoing, or that regular pain relief is not enough, that needs to be flagged. Yeah easiest way to stay in shape post baby because obviously we discussed yeah, I guess yeah. um, exercise but and something approachable I mean I think just think about general activity levels I think yeah. we underestimate as mothers how active we are and actually when you look at the Department of Health they're just encouraging us to be physically active yeah. I think if you're going to spend time on something thinking about introducing weights resistance training you know yeah. I'm a real big believer we need to think about bone health for women throughout life yeah. and so impact and resistance training is really important yeah I think variety is the spice of life and more importantly than anything, something you enjoy. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it, you ain't going to do it. No, and also happy hormones. Literally. Got to get those going. So if you're hating it, not going to feel good. Yeah, sack it off. <laughs> so these are my principles to think about, but ultimately what you enjoy. Okay. Um, next is Mythbusters. So just a true or false slash explanation. All women become incontinent if they give birth vaginally. False. <laughs> not true and we think about one in three women will have incontinence at some point in their life but it's also not just about vaginal delivery um but yeah it's not a foregone conclusion even though i think people think it is um but it's a possibility it's normal not to poo for three days post birth oh i love that let's talk about poo um not normal I mean, it can happen. I yeah. think it depends on the delivery. I think after C-section, women can say it definitely does take a few days. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we don't poo because we're worried to poo and we're yeah. fearful of what's going to happen. Yeah. But we always say, like, ultimately, one of the roles of our bowels is to reabsorb water into our body. Yeah. If that poo stays in the bowel for longer, it's going to get harder and bigger and more difficult to yeah. pass. When you get that urge to go, don't put it off because of fear. Yeah. Um, head to the bathroom, you know, do whatever you need, take your time. Yeah. But yeah, I say it's definitely not normal. And if it's going over that, we need to give you some laxatives to support yeah. you because we don't want it to be going and going over and, and the bowel just getting stretched because of poo yeah. sitting there. Yeah. I have to admit, I I had a vaginal birth and I was fearful. Absolutely. I let the fear take over me for probably a day yeah. longer than it should have done. Yeah, but I mean, why wouldn't you be? Mm. I mean... It, 
it's just logical to yeah. think it's pretty tender down there. Yeah. I don't want anything to stretch them. And I always say to women, you know, stitches don't open mm. because you did a poo. Yeah. It's because there's an infection or something yeah. breaking yeah, down yeah. stitches. What I would say, if you've had a vaginal delivery, get a clean maternity pad mm. and literally put it over your vulva, over the vagina mm. to just splint and hold it while yeah. you do a poo. Yeah. It's a lot of it's psychological and comfort. Yeah. And I felt the fear. Mm. I just did it anyway. Yeah. Um, you've got to do it at some point. <laughs> like it's actually waiting it, waiting it out. Yeah. Although you know you feel like you're controlling it actually not you'll make it worse but potentially you're just prolonging it for another day and actually yeah I think you you probably feel better for it (laughs) (laughs) you'll be so happy and proud of yourself yeah exactly (laughs) so Claire thank you so much for today it's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you for any listeners please do follow Claire on Instagram and if you're interested take a look at her website I'll put all that information in the podcast notes thank you so much thanks for having me it's been great it's been great (laughs) 